me division and community. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Stay Curious, a podcast where we want to create diversity in thought without creating division and community. I am your co-host, Matt Fisher. I'm the care pastor here at Hill City, where we record this and every episode of the podcast. And I'm here with my co-hosts, teaching pastor, father, husband, athlete, master manipulator. No. <laughs> I was trying to come up with like ex-marketer and somehow master manipulator came out. Uh, not a Freudian slip. Love this man. John Wagler. Yeah. John, how are you? I'm good. So every like so often, um, our old college teammates, like a group text like blows up. And um, today was one of those days. And it's actually happened a, a few different times recently over the past month because uh, they are commemorating our 1995 team. Oh, okay. Um, like in a couple weekends. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so like, but it it always is like so enjoyable. Like that that group text could be silent for a year. I love and that. And then someone says one thing, <laughs> just one <laughs> random thing of like a random memory, yeah. or you know, you come across a road sign or yeah. something that sparks uh-huh. something, and it sets off this group text, and it goes bonkers That's for. So cool an entire day and then just shuts down (laughs) but it's like a but it's always just so much fun because it's like funny memories and you just you see like even guys that are on the text i haven't spoken to in like two decades Mm -hmm. you know plus some of them i just haven't seen and um some of them i have but you know just their personalities are still the same you know like it's just funny like anyway yeah it's enjoyable one of the problems about growing up with punk rockers is that the relationships are always volatile so they rarely end well (laughs) so it's like i have a few lifetime friends or like long-term friends but then sometimes it'd be like hey what's going on with so-and-so and And they're like oh no no f that dude (laughs) it's like okay i just i didn't know especially Uh, since i left like i moved away and didn't know how everything panned out so sometimes i'll sort of like try to have that conversation (laughs) and then two people will be like no that dude um are there any green bubbles on that text uh that's yes dude how much easier would it be (laughs) i know i know it's very frustrating i don't know who it is who is it but yeah because you never know once there's one green bubble i know Corporate shills for Apple over here at Stay Curious. <laughs> um, cool. Well, boy, we're through the Easter season, yeah. the Super Bowl of Christianity, yeah. um, and we're still going strong this week. Um, we are going to actually kind of revisit a sermon or a message that you... Um, it was actually on Palm Sunday. Oh, the Palm Sunday message. Yeah. That's right. Um, during our series about Jonah, mm-hmm. um, that you sort of talked about loving your enemy. Um, in the way that Jonah was called to love the Ninevites, who were really, truly his enemy. Um, Someone wrote in and just asked that we kind of unpack this a little bit. And then I feel like we were both kind of like, certainly we've done an episode (laughs) on this before. I don't know that we have. Yeah, we might not. Love your enemy seems like a pretty, especially with our whole thing of like trying to, you know, diversity and thought without division and community. You think we would have covered this, but I don't know that we have. Yeah, not specifically, I guess. Yeah, so super um, appreciative to folks that are writing in and to Amanda for writing in with some of her thoughts and questions. Um, I would feel remiss to to uh, do a, a podcast around this one without also acknowledging friend of the show, Bree, who has sent many thoughtful, like truly good emails that yeah. I feel like everyone is a good episode. So we're getting there. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll be there soon. Um, but today we are going to talk about just kind of like unpacking what are the particulars, what are the um, uh, more tangibles of loving your enemy, particularly, I think maybe when it's an enemy that is still actively harming you. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, we are going to call out our enemies. <laughs> in a segment that we are continuing to do into 2023 where we talk about what's getting on our nerves and it's called stay Stay furious john yes what's making you furious travel to louisville uh last week <laughs> i had to go to louisville <laughs> well yeah louisville is quite nice no 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 actually, I, it's, yeah. yeah it's not a shot on louisville um it's just like I, there's things about airport travel oh, that boy. is just. I would almost always rather drive. <laughs> I, I know because like, at least you're in control. I know it's like the absurdity of how much it is to park. Yeah, you know, at Richmond Airport to um, why is how are we not more advanced with security at this point in time? Right. 
you know and even like so i got patted down. i was randomly yeah. you know screen i got patted down and felt like semi-violated mm-hmm. or <laughs> got a little action yeah early in the morning but the <laughs> i'm like i don't know it just like the process is just it just doesn't seem it, it doesn't efficient yeah yeah it's a very weird thing to just like be okay with your civil liberties being violated <laughs> on the way to the airport or through the airport I feel like there should be a better system in place. And maybe like someone could probably explain it and be like, well, it's just not possible because of money. Cause yeah, of, and I get it. It, it's, it just is what it is. But it, And even like the little stuff like um, the shoving your bag underneath, fully underneath your seat. Yeah. I'm like, my legs are fine. Yeah. If someone needs to get out, there's there's room. And, you know, the flight attendant was like, that's got to go. You know, you know yeah. it's always going to be like, yes, go further underneath. I'm like, it's it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I do assume, well, you remember when like you were not allowed to have any electronics on. Yeah. And then finally one day they were like, actually, it's fine. <laughs> Just put it in airplane mode, <laughs> I guess. Maybe. Yeah. Like yeah. I can remember stewardess or a flight attendants like snatching my phone out of my hand for playing Candy Crush or something. Like offline, not even Candy Crush. Sure. Playing solitaire or something offline. And now, no, yeah, yeah it's fine. It's... I've I I feel like I've often heard that um, airline travel is like theme parks. It's a thing that by looking at it, you think surely there's money and infrastructure here, but really it's not as profitable as it seems. It's actually like kind of a loss industry, yeah. um, which is the same. Like if you watch any documentaries on like Disney World, Disneyland, Universal Studios, like these are actually almost lost leaders to just like push movies and more profitable things. So it's yeah. probably you probably nailed it. It's not more efficient because there's no money to invest in the. Yeah. system because it's not as profitable a venture yeah as it seems to be you, i never saw the movie but do you remember um early 2000s there was a movie called soul plane yes it was really good <laughs> i never i only remember the one preview because they had the part where yeah. uh the guy takes out his cell phone yeah and the plane keeps going up and down based yep. on the fact that, <laughs> that he has a cell phone <laughs> yeah no nah, that movie was great i can remember when jenny and i were dating we rented it and watched it and it was so good okay. that was like a weird time for plane movies like plane movies were trying to make a comeback because <laughs> there was also snakes on a plane which was uh, hilarious yeah. we went and saw that in the theater um there's only airplane yeah airplane travel is infuriating like honestly what's your threshold for if this saves this amount of time i'll do it yeah, you know, we were just talking about that because, like, the trip to Louisville, it was like pretty close. Yeah. To like, if we just hopped in the car and drove, such a pretty drive too through yeah. the mountains. So, I think you know, um, if the drive is going to be more than seven, I'd rather just fly, even if it, yeah. even if it, even if it, like, takes us eight to get there on a plane. You know, in my head, it's like two and a half hours. If there's, if I save, I have to save more than two and a half or three hours by flying. Like if I, if I, ta- oh, I if yeah. to drive, it would only tack on like two hours. Yeah. I'll drive. No joke. Okay. Cause with the waiting and the checking and everything, like yeah. Jenny and I have done that before where we've had flights canceled and we've just been like, let's just run a car and go. And even if it's eight or 10 hours, that's also from driving a lot from touring and stuff sure. or in my head, my threshold, it was funny. I was talking to the band about this the other day and in my head, my threshold for too long of a drive was 20 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I remember I used to drive about 45,000 miles a year. Oh, that's right. sales. Yeah. And uh, so like a three-hour drive felt like. Yeah, whatever. Down the street. Going to get bananas. Let's just do it. Yeah. <laughs> no big deal. Pop on a podcast. You're good. Um, my fear, I mean, there's really only one thing I'm furious about. Maybe for the remainder of the time you and anyone listening knows me, and that is artificial intelligence. <laughs> Guys, The uh, if you've never, we're going to have. We're going we're gonna to talk a, about it. There's a chance there'll be multiple episodes on yeah. this, but I'm going to go ahead and tease it out in my Stay Furious right now. Um, there's a great video that my friend James sent me of the two guys that made The Social Dilemma. If you mm-hmm. haven't seen that documentary, go back and see that. Um, just giving a talk, like an hour long talk at like a humane technologies summit on AI. And it's a problem. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> like it's, it's a like really real, bad. It is. And it is none of the problems that I thought. And, yeah. I, and I think that was my takeaway from, from the, the um, talk was in my head, I was like deep fake is a problem. Um, like identity theft is a problem. Uh, you know, obviously there's always the sort of like, they call it AGI, artificial general intelligence, but the idea of like the Terminator, right? Or of yeah. like, we're going to build robots that will decide that we're the problem and turn on us. I thought that was the problem. Those things are problems, but they are not the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I'll let you all look up. It's called the AI dilemma. You can look it up on YouTube, but we're going to be talking about it because it has deep yeah. spiritual implications of Speaking everything. Speaking of documentaries, I watched Jesus Music. Oh, yeah. It was good. You liked it? Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I really like Amy Grant <laughs> and it basically yeah. accidentally becomes an Amy Grant documentary. End, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was interesting. I it thought was it was like really raw at the beginning where they were being really honest about using LSD and yeah. like having spiritual experiences with LSD. But then, you know, Morrison dying and, and Janis Joplin dying and, and Hendrix dying and then, then being like, I still want to encounter God, but I don't want to do it with drugs anymore. Yeah. I don't feel like I've heard that blunt of a version of it before. I also think it was like it's it, it coming out now is is interesting just because there's so much discussion around Christian music right now again. Yeah, because it's hit like kind of a weird spot. Yeah. So um, I thought it was really really good. That's good. Yeah, Jesus yeah. music. That's a recommendation. We probably you know most podcast hosts have like a recommendation thing. We probably should start doing that. Yeah. I feel like people like stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and just kind of talk about the particulars of loving our enemies. Y'all know we stay curious over here. All right, and we're back. Um, so yeah, we got a really great thoughtful email. We're not going to read the whole thing, um, or we're not going to read it because it it was thoughtful and long. Um, but we got a great email about um, really, I think the crux of it. And you can write back in uh, <laughs> if, if we missed it. Um, I think the crux of it was really how do we love enemies that are actively persecuting us or harming us? Yeah. Um, or do we do we love enemies that are actively harming harming us? Um, uh, it kind of compared to the Jonah story, I think, like, we could assume the Ninevites were, like, active oppressors or, like, active. They for sure were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, historically, they were, yeah, yeah. super so, oppressive people. Yeah, so it's one thing to kind of, like, I don't know. You know, you see, like, a feel-good story on the news. Somebody committed a crime against someone, maybe, maybe even a murder or something like that. But then there's, like, a warm moment where the person forgives them during their trial. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they have some sort of correspondence in prison you know i'm kind of yeah and that's a thing in which which is a beautiful thing and a very hard thing to love your enemy you know to love someone who deserves your ire mm -hmm. but there's distance like they are they are suffering consequences they are no longer actively harming you yeah or you see it uh that sometimes maybe the differential element is uh not that it lessens the pain, but it's like one act versus multiple. So like, mm. you know, like I think about the story. Remember uh, when the guy came in and shot up the Amish people mm -hmm. and the Amish responded with forgiveness and paying for his funeral, the murderer's funeral yeah. as a way to interact with the family, show forgiveness and love and grace. Mm. And it became like this massive story, you know, um, or the same thing happened down in uh, South Carolina in Charleston mm -hmm. with a shooting. Mm -hmm. And people did the same thing. And that was like, you know, there's that huge racial element that was there. And um, they did that. And I think those moments are like one element where it's like, man, that is unbelievably powerful how someone can do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's the other discussion of what about like something that is uh, repeated offenses? Yeah. And, you know, um, it's, not, it's not like ranking them, but it's just like, yeah. what do you? Yeah. What if this person is not repenting? Yeah. Or, or, or trying to work on or has done something multiple times yeah. to multiple people or right. you know um whatever yeah like, yeah 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 and that's a big part of accountability I, I have this conversation a lot with people who are struggling with um sexual assault and sexual yeah. abuse um is okay do i report this person do i not do i what do i do you know what's the next step and how do i do it and such a big part of that is you know it's not as much about you, if it, especially if it's not someone who's intimate. So if it's like a sort of random person in your social group or college or workplace, and it's somebody who you can you can easily create distance from and never be harmed again, mm -hmm. do you proceed with accountability? Well, you don't do that for yourself. You do that for other women or, or other people. Like you do that sure. so that others don't go through what you went through or so that you can fulfill your responsibility to others um and that's tricky too because this is again this is a person who's doing active harm and even if they'll never harm you again because you won't fall for their bs how do you react to knowing that they may harm someone else yeah um so it is 
complicated. And you know what? I think Jesus knew that. Like, I, <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not trying to be glib. Like, I think that you know, there's these certain. I think love your enemies is one of those bombs that he drops, knowing that like we would spend the rest of human history trying to suss it out. Yeah, I think like when, uh, you know, I think I said it in the sermon that like loving your enemies is like a litmus test of our faith. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus knew that reality mm-hmm. because it's because it's so nuanced and difficult mm-hmm. and emotional. And, uh, you know, each scenario can almost like take on its own, mm-hmm. like own kind of story and narrative, yeah. you know, because it could be so wildly different. And then how someone else is wired versus someone else. Like it's, there's so many complex elements to it that yeah there it's really hard it's really difficult and he knew that but i think to fight for that tension is what i think jesus is pointing us towards because it's always gonna if we keep fighting in that tension to move towards love Mm -hmm. we're gonna always fight to move towards jesus in our interactions and our thoughts and our words and everything and so but to like kind of just separate ourselves from it even if it's like horrific it's like if we don't try and fight in that tension, then we're going to always move away Mm -hmm. from where Jesus would like, like us to go. Yeah. So maybe this is putting you on the spot a little (laughs) bit, but you know, as a pastor, someone comes into your office and says, I want to try not to set up a straw man here. So we'll try not to make it super, super uh, theatrical, but, um, you know, somebody comes in and says, uh, explains to you what's going on in their marriage, for instance. Yeah. And in your head, you're like ticking all the boxes for pretty intense emotional abuse. They're, yeah. They're cursing at them. They're not letting, they're, you know, I don't know, tracking them. They're not letting them see their friends, whatever. Everything short of, of hitting, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and in your mind, you're like, yeah, this is, this is abuse. This is not yeah. good. And so the person says all of these things that their partner is doing, and you're registering it as active harm. But then at the end of it, and this happens to me all the time, I'm sure you've been in this position, they end it with, I'm just, instead of saying, I'm trying to get out or I want a divorce, they look at you and they say, John, I just want to figure out how to love my enemy well. Yeah. Truly one of the stickiest situations yeah. for pastoral, you yeah. know, what do you say? How do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's obviously so hard, but yeah. they, I, I think that there's, um, typically when I'm sitting with people like that, I, I try and like help create like a checklist mm-hmm. to be like, all right, let's go down, let's discuss what's like a good way to approach this mm-hmm. that creates boundaries, that holds people accountable, that um, is really trying to love everyone in this situation well, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, so let's just say it's just a husband and a wife in the scenario. I'd probably sit down and let's say I'm talking to the wife mm-hmm. in the scenario. Um, I'm like, all right, uh, let's go through some checklist items. Um, are you safe mm-hmm. physically? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like, all right, what does it look like to be safe? And it might be like, well, I think we're at a stage. If we stayed in separate rooms, that would be safe. Okay. Maybe that's true. Um, but what if they say, I don't know, mm-hmm. then the answer might be, well, safety might be you not being in the home. Yeah. You know? And so like, like going through like a checklist of things, like, have you seen counselors? How they responded? Um, do you need help mm-hmm. financially? You know, yeah. like even like trying to provide ways to, um, you know, and then try to get more information because it's like, Hey, if this is a situation that they need to be held accountable legally, mm-hmm. like, I think that's, like, let's talk through what that looks like. And so I think going through a checklist of things, because sometimes people are like, well, if we do this, then they could get in a lot of trouble. And my my angle to always that part is like, there are consequences for actions. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, you see it all through scripture. Like there, there are consequences to actions. That does not mean you don't love somebody. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the most loving thing you can do for someone is to allow them to suffer the consequences of their actions. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time a gross misinterpretation of the gospel is like, yeah, but God, doesn't God love us by rescuing us from the consequences of our actions? No, he does. Jesus did lay his life down for our sins, but like after you accepted Jesus, did you stop suffering? Or did did you stop receiving consequences for yeah. bad decisions you made? Like, no, he doesn't. He delivers, he delivers us from the tyranny of suffering, but not from suffering itself. Yeah, and so I think even relationally, 
It's like if someone is in an abusive relationship, right. just fine. It's like, all right, how do we go down this checklist of like, are we doing the right practical things mm-hmm. for boundaries, protection, safety? Uh, all right, spiritually, what's the checklist of things we're moving through? Like, and how we're praying, uh, how we're engaging, how we're thinking. And like, and then kind of move through, through those things methodically mm-hmm. um, because if you just jump, sometimes people jump to, for, this is going to sound so bad, uh, to forgiveness too quickly. No, that's right. You know, it's like um, you jump into a state of forgiveness, um, which feels good on the front end because it makes you feel like spiritually you did something that was like uh, like so mature, um, but you actually never took a second to breathe mm-hmm. and be like, no, I want to think about this practically, what this has done to me, and like actually figuring out what does forgiveness mean here? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes people jump so quickly to forgiveness, but they put themselves in harm's way or they, you know, it's like, no, forgiveness can look like, again, just using the abuse as an example, forgiveness can say, um, I forgive this person of the abuse because I understand their past. I understand that they were abused. I understand they, whatever the Mm -hmm. cause of it is. And I'm going to forgive them of, uh, I'm not going to hold it against them, like kind of just in my heart because unforgiveness only hurts us, right? Mm -hmm. It wears away at our soul, builds resentment, all that stuff. And so I want to forgive that. However, I want to make sure that I have set up boundaries. And um, again, accountability and responsibility is a really big deal. And so um, what loving our enemies can look like in that moment is like, yeah, I'm going to forgive because I don't want any resentment in my heart. But really to love them well, they're going to have to suffer the consequences of their actions. Yeah. And then to love other people well is protecting them from this person doing anything else to them. Yeah, I think it's really a deep, it's holding a deeply held belief that people are not meant to be persecuted or to persecute one another. Like persecution by definition is ill treatment or abuse, Mm -hmm. truly. Um, I think the, I was looking at the, because I always think of it as like ex in my head, it was like exile, like political persecution, but it's really hostility or ill treatment um, to somebody, especially based on just who they are. Mm-hmm. But this idea of understanding that, like, if you're my enemy and you're persecuting me, you're not you're not made to do that. Like, I have to deeply believe that you're better than that. Like, I have to deeply believe that God did not create you to do what you're doing and that you are living against what's best for you yeah. by inflicting on me what's not best for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so to love that person is to help move them away from what they were not made to do. I think when we have, you know, sometimes we call it like Genesis 3 theology, or like when we have that mm-hmm. deeply held cynical belief that people are at their core bad and then are redeemed, um, rather than at their core good, then fallen, then redeemed. Mm-hmm. But like at your core, you are not meant to harm, persecute, oppress, or abuse, or kill, or, you know, other people. Then to love them well is to do something to help them move away from this sin. Yeah. And usually that's consequences. I mean, you know, yeah, like absolutely the facilitating consequences or, or um, accountability. Yeah. Well, there's also like the messiness, like even, you know, abuse is an easy one to talk about because like it's so prevalent, Mm -hmm. you know, in people's stories and, uh, you know, and then you kind of look at uh, other things that are sticky, you know, with this. It's like uh, I think about, you know, um, so many of like Martin Luther King's speeches Mm -hmm. and like actions and civil rights movements of all those leaders, not just him, but like so many leaders are faced with in that time frame, you know, it's like, oh, they're looking at these white folks. I mean, who looked at them as enemy? Like there was like so much, but the overriding element was like, man, in this persecuted, oppressed state, mm-hmm. how do how do how does love come out? Mm-hmm. You know, and there was this act of, hey, I want to see people for who God designed them to be, not the color of their skin. Um, but there's also consequences. Mm-hmm. Like there's you know there's laws that got to be put in place. There's things that yeah. have to happen to people if yeah. you act in a certain way. You know, like so so this it. it Loving our enemies is never, uh, I don't want to ever make people think that it's somehow just letting things go. Mm-hmm. You know, there are consequences and there are realities that end up happening within it. Yeah, it's a, I'm going to butcher the quote, but Martin Luther King famously said something to the effect of, I can't make you love me with a law, but I can't keep you from killing me. Yeah. 
And I think that's that's it. Like, yeah. but, the, but I'm sorry. One go ahead. But with that, I just the other piece to like like that era and that thought process is he was also trying to rally people to continue to love because yeah. he realized that hate doesn't do anything there. Mm-hmm. And so, cause that just projects that all of a sudden you become the same way yeah. eventually. Yeah. So I think, you know, to over, maybe oversimplify loving your enemy is not looking at your abusive partner. Again, we're using this yeah. very, a little bit of a straw man situation, but it's just something so common, right? It's not looking at your abusive partner and, and saying, well, you know, his dad was really bad to him and he didn't have good and this is his trauma and or her trauma and da 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 da, da. So I'm just going to love him out of this, even though they're hurting me. I know that can sound or feel good um, martyring yourself in that way, mm-hmm. but it's a false martyrdom. Like it's it's not, it's trying to walk a crooked path rather than making a crooked path straight. Sure, It is m- more, I think, deeply toward the heart of God to be able to look at them and say, um, you weren't made to be, to be like this toward me. You are hurt and you are those things, but, um, I'm leaving because I love you and I love me. Like I love my neighbor as myself. I want to love, I want to, it's, it's in loving yourself, not in a selfish way, but in a way that leads you to love your neighbor. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm -hmm. Thomas Merton, I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of it. Um, but the first chapter of his book, No Man is an Island, is an essay he wrote on love. And it is so good um, and just like perfect, I, I think perfectly like speaks into this because it's really him unpacking like, well, what really is it to love your neighbor? Like, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit uh, from that. He says, to love another is to will what is really good for them. Such love must be based on truth, a love that sees no distinction between good and evil, but loves blindly merely for the sake of loving is hatred rather than love. To love blindly is to love selfishly, because the goal of such love is not the real advantage of the beloved, but only the exercise of love in our own souls. Such love cannot seem to be love unless it pretends to seek the good of the one loved. But since it actually cares nothing for the truth and never considers that it may go astray, it proves itself to be selfish. It does not seek the true advantage of the beloved, the one being loved, or even our own. It is not interested in the truth, but only in itself. It proclaims itself content with an apparent good. So, for instance, like, well, you know, he he's really traumatized or she's been really traumatized. So it's like, I, mean, I got to stick with them even though they're hurting me. An apparent good which is the exercise of love for its own sake without any consideration of the good or bad effects of loving. That is a typically uh, very intense Thomas Merton thing, but my takeaway from it is um, you must first love the truth and you must first know the truth to love the truth. Now we're humans, we're flawed. We don't, you know, we see it in a mirror darkly, but like the truth that you are valuable and deserve to be treated with respect and honor is like, the sort of tent pole from which you have to start loving. Does that make sense? Yeah. In, in the case in which you're being persecuted against, um, in hopes that that will lead the persecutor to also recognize that tent pole truth, which is that you are worthy of love and respect. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I think that might feel like a little bit, a little bit of a convoluted answer, but Lo- yeah, loving your persecutor is not, and I know in the story Jonah goes to the Ninevites, and and we can unpack that a little bit. But I, I think loving your enemy, loving someone who is actively persecuting you and not asking for forgiveness, is really about taking the exact same. A- <laughs> might be about taking similar actions as if you were angry at them, but for different reasons. Does that make sense? I'm leaving, or you can't do that to me, or sure. I'm reporting you. Um. But doing it with a heart of like, because you're better than this. Yeah. And I need you to see that. So I'm setting a boundary. It's kind of like, you know, uh, again, the complexity of the message of Jesus, right? Is he uh, is enduring suffering and pain and he goes to the cross. This is why like the message of Jesus can be so hard for us to like truly fathom because, mm-hmm. you know, he goes up to the cross and the same people who whipped him and beat him and put him there. Mm-hmm 
are the same people he's offering salvation to. Mm. And so if it was just about vengeance or whatever, what you're describing is like Jesus actually getting to the core level of like, you put me on this cross, but I'm going to die on this cross. I'm going to rise again, you know, Mm. um, to overcome what actually made you put me on this cross. Mm. And, and to show you that, there's more for you to show you that there, this is not who you have to be. Mm-hmm. And so I think in the same way, it doesn't mean necessarily uh, like to take up our cross in a scenario with someone who's like mm-hmm. causing suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's like, how do we pause and take a step back? And it's like, all right, I'm enduring the suffering of this, but what does it look like to show them that this is not who they need to be? Yeah. This is not who they are, is what you're, right. you know, part of what you're saying. And it's like, so to take up our cross might be like, you know what? I'm actually reporting you. Mm-hmm. And, um, but here's what I'm doing. I'm sacrificing, trying to prove a point. I'm sacrificing anger. <laughs> I'm sacrificing mm-hmm. vengeance. I'm sacrificing all these things because actually my love for you mm-hmm. is such that like, this is not who you were designed to be. Mm-hmm. This is not, now you have to suffer consequences and guess what? You may never see me again. Yeah. Ever. Yep. But, um, I'm willing to like endure this yeah. to make sure that, and I hope and pray that you experience mercy and grace yeah. and begin to somehow have a redemptive element. Right. Yeah. Like that's, that's hard. Yeah. Um, and so when, so now obviously things get more complicated cause it's like, Oh, I'm in a family where my uncle did this mm-hmm. and I'm here. What do I do? Well, you have to go through again in this checklist. It's like, how do I love my neighbor? In this case, other family members. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to love them? Well, well it means to protect them. Mm-hmm. Well, this uncle might get thrown in jail. Well, that's consequences for his actions. Yeah. You know, like there, there are things, but like out of love, even for him is like, I can't let you continue to be this person, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so we've got to do something else. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. I think it's, it's about, it's about the heart posture of how you are, I can't remember what's the scripture that says if you know uh, kindness is like heaping burning coals, burning on, coals. yeah on oh, their heads. I, <laughs> I used to think it was that. Proverbs, but it's, it's actually not. one of the epistles. Yeah, I was... uh, it's a very Paul thing to say. I assume it's him, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it really is about sort of doing doing the work of accountability and of boundaries and of um, justice, but with a heart of. Um, love like how is it another how is justice and accountability another layer of love mm-hmm. and it's really unsatisfying in yeah, the in the short term like sure. it's satisfying to replace there's a song uh not surprisingly a heavy metal song that i really like called justice replaced by revenge and i think it does this great job of like holding a mirror up to like this is what we do right um and that's what it is like justice replaced by revenge looks like still seeking Rep, um, reparation or still seeking retro, hmm, still seeking accountability, but with a heart of like, because you hurt me and I hate you. So I need, I, I'm going to seek accountability. Yeah. It's really kind of like more about the heart with which you're doing a thing. Um, and how that guides what, what you do. Cause again, it, it, you know, part of that, that we often forget is, you know, when, you know, we're taught that like vengeance is mine says yeah. the Lord, you know, um, by the way, it's Romans 12, the heaping burning coals. Okay. Um, but I, we can't forget that loving our enemies is a test of, do we trust God's going to take care of all of this? Mm-hmm. You know, are we willing to, uh, sacrifice an element of being right or doing it? But like, are we willing to have a, a posture of surrender to, to Jesus in the midst of it mm-hmm. that says, I trust that you're going to take care of this and how it's supposed to be. Again, doesn't mean you let things go or like there aren't consequences, all that stuff, but it's, but then becomes a test of our heart and a test of things. And so that it doesn't build resentment and rot away our own soul, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that becomes important. I also think, you know, when Jesus was teaching the love your enemies, it was personal, but it was also trying to set a communal standard for how it engaged like the world around it. So, mm. so you think about in the Roman empire, they, they leverage propaganda so much yeah. to get you to hate people mm-hmm. and hate groupings of people. Mm-hmm. It's like what we live in now. Yeah. Right? Um, and so even in the midst of this, it's like, 
oh, you know what? You know what the world is going to do around you? They're going to try and use propaganda to get you to hate people. Mm-hmm. They're going to make you think they're your enemies. And so you can make a war justified or you can make an action justified or whatever it is. You know, so you can see how easy it is for us to like buy into things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, they just did a drone strike on someone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I listen, I know in scripture it talks about government is supposed to like ward off evil mm-hmm. and like that there might be times where the governments have to act. Like I get all that that mm-hmm. conversation. But it's like sometimes it's like we celebrate certain things that happen in the killing of people. And then, you know, you hear, oh, there are also women and children that had nothing to do with this that were like mm-hmm. also killed. And it's like, well, it's just part of the deal. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, no, no, no. Don't you see like loving enemies like removes us from this thought Mm-hmm. of like somehow all these other people are our enemies, like nationality wise, you know, mm-hmm. um, it removes this thought and pushes us into like, well, maybe they're acting out of a sinful nature because of whatever that reason is, mm-hmm. you know, um, and God's trying to push us to be like, you've got to see the world around you, how I see the world. Mm-hmm. You cannot see the world as us versus them or, you know, yeah, governments might have to act and wars are going to happen mm-hmm. and because that's just, humanity mm-hmm. but it's like you can't sit back and be like i'm so glad all those people got wiped out or i'm so glad you know i'm on this side you know mm-hmm. i'm so you know it's like that's how it continues to produce a sinful nature towards one another yeah yeah and i think also i, I would love your take on um a thought i had a few years ago while in the summer of 2020 so lots of political activism and and hard conversations around race there was a video that went around that i feel like in my circles wasn't necessarily used as an attack but more of a question it was a video and i'm sure you saw similar of like um people of color like washing the feet of police Uh, as like a sort of this is what you know jesus taught us to do and um this is a thing that was brought to me a lot because it is so specifically a Christian mm-hmm. image, you know, sure. Judeo-Christian yeah, yeah, yeah. imagery as like, is this the thing? Is this how things get better? Like, can you explain to me why this is a good thing? And I thought about that a lot. And I think what I got hung up on was a, they were videos that were decontextualized. So we only saw the foot washing. I don't know what happened before mm-hmm. or after, but something it brought up in me was, is it necessary to identify who your enemies are so that you can love them. Like, do we sometimes skip that part? Because if in the middle of the George Floyd uh, moment, um, there are these videos of people of color washing white police's feet. But before that happens, they have stood up and explained, these men are my enemy. As a black man in America, you know, this is, as a black man in America, these men are my enemies. And now I'm going to love them well by washing their feet. Mm-hmm. That to me is like, a, well, that's gnarly. I mean, like that's, that's pretty powerful. That could sure. be pretty powerful. Um, do you think that there is sometimes pressure, especially from mm, people maybe higher up on the social order, we'll say, toward uh, people who are lower on the social order to like skip the naming of the enemy part and get to the love do you think that it's important sometimes to name like, oh no, like, because that's another thing I hear in counseling. It's like, but I love them. I don't, I don't, they're yeah. not my enemy. They're just not treating me well. Yeah. I think, it, I think you have to, I think you, um, Jesus stands before Pilate, you know, and Pilate's like, what is truth? Yeah. You know, and Jesus kind of like spits truth at him, right? Yeah. Like in terms, and he's like calling in that moment, he's like, you think you know truth, but I'm telling you, I'm. Like I'm the truth here, right? So he is he is naming all throughout Scripture. You see that, mm-hmm. you know, um, Paul in Greece when he's, you know, in Athens, and he's like, you know, this unnamed God, mm-hmm. you know, like let me tell you who the unnamed God is. Well, what is he doing? He's calling out the other gods mm-hmm. and saying what they're not. You know, they're the enemy of the reality of who God is and the truth of who God is. And so I do think it's important to name those things because mm-hmm. what it does is it calls the sin that creates that behavior to the mat Mm -hmm. and then in that moment you're acknowledging the reality of sin that builds that hatred or that enemy like suffering and pain and you're calling that out and addressing the reality and the truth of it it's why jesus even names demons right Mm -hmm. like they're he's calling calling out the reality of what's there he's not avoiding it he's Mm -hmm. calling out its reality 
and speaking truth to that reality and responds with a love to reshape it. Mm-hmm. Now, that evil has a their own choice in the midst of it, but what you can't walk away from is like, yeah, but you're giving an opportunity to say like, no, love does actually conquer all. Mm-hmm. You know, love is truth. Uh, Romans 2 says um, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. You know, it's like, well, once we've experienced that reality, then it's our responsibility to live it out. Mm-hmm. So then the foot washing, you know, yeah. is becoming like a, no, 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 let's address the reality of what has caused the hatred and the discord and the enemy-like element. And we put that out in front. Mm-hmm. But man, how I'm taking up my cross is I'm actually going to love and be kind and like, I'm going to wash your feet right here and take this position because here's what I want you to know. No matter how much your hatred uh, stays as it is, the reality and the truth of who Jesus is in me is going to overcome that. Mm -hmm. And you can kill, but it won't kill the reality and the truth of Jesus. Or you can do, you know, and and what that does is that keeps the person in the right frame of mind and the right posture towards. And so you don't then perpetuate further hate or further response or vengeance. And, some people that sounds weak, but the reality is, is like, if that's how we always play things out, it, that's what builds momentum and love and trust and mm-hmm. all of those things. And again, it does not forsake consequences. Mm-hmm. It, th- that's a real thing. Um, but I think what it does, it keeps posture and to stop something else from continuing. And so, yeah. And it also, and I would say this too, um, in particular, using the foot washing for mm-hmm. the, you know, police officer model there. It, what it does is it also creates space for someone to um, that someone that might be in, like a police officer might be like, oh, yeah, I'm a police officer, but man, I hate mm-hmm. what those guys did. Mm-hmm. I, I don't ever want to be associated with that, mm-hmm. you know, but in this moment, it leaves space for people to be like, that's not me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? In 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 rather than lumping everyone into the same conversation or right. everyone into the same action or whatever, it creates space and a posture for someone to be like, "That's not me," mm-hmm. or "This has been stirring in my heart. Maybe I did do something." Mm-hmm. But then they have this radical repentance, and so. But when it comes just to either be like, "No, we're going to ignore the sin and evil," or, or "I'm going to get vengeance," or whatever, mm-hmm. there's no opportunity for repentance and a a change of life yeah and i think to cap that example because i know it's a little bit of a powder keg i do think those videos were propaganda pieces to sort of push people past sure you know push push people into a false piece so i i do think that regardless of what actually happened at those events the videos were very much used to be like why can't we just get to loving one another it's like well because we haven't reckoned for happened there's a process yeah there's a process absolutely um but uh, yeah i i think the power of being able to love an enemy is oftentimes contingent on our ability to compassionately name an enemy Mm -hmm. and i think i think we kind of skip that a lot i think it's also important to note that um, when jesus washed the feet of his disciples it was offensive to them they did not say hey how about now you wash our feet Sure. Um, so power dynamics is important, whether it's in, yeah, an abusive relationship or a nation. Um, it's always important to sort of, Jesus was really good at reading the power dynamics and how they flowed yeah, wherever absolutely. he was. And he always tailored what he said based on like where he felt like the power was flowing from. Yeah. It's even like when he says, talks about childlike faith in Matthew 18, he's like, you know, he's not just saying be humble mm-hmm. and like, innocent like a child he's he's speaking to people of influence and power and saying like no 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 yeah like if you do anything to cause one of these kids to stumble like and you use your power against people yeah like you'd rather have a millstone tied around your neck right like so so jesus that's all power dynamic language there yeah for sure um i think a couple of things i want to touch on really quickly one of which is just like i feel like counselor um, housekeeping. Um, I, I am not saying, and I don't think you're saying that there's no room for anger in this, um, process. No, like anger is part of the process. The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Like you need to feel angry. You cannot just go, 
this person is my enemy and I'm going to love them without ever going through the emotional process of like, hey, and also I'm angry that they did this to me. I didn't deserve that. You know, we're, we're not what what we're not talking about is skipping the necessary, honestly, grieving process of what should be, which is that we all love one another and look out for one another. That is what should be. Um, so I just don't want anybody to misinterpret what we're saying as like, um, so anger, grief, yeah. um, you know, that, that, that's not part of the process. That is a necessary part of the process. Yeah. Can we, can I chip dot feelings start? That's oh like man, right chip now. dot it. So, um, the, the anger is one of our core emotions that we should appreciate mm-hmm. because the dealing with the anger, the gift of, of anger is passion, right? Mm-hmm. So to, to have that anger towards the suffering, the pain, whatever. It's like, no, no, you should have anger, but you have a passion when you understand where that anger is coming from and why Why you have a passion for justice. Mm-hmm. You have a passion for healing. You have a passion for courage. You have a passion for the right things happening. Mm-hmm. If you don't deal with that anger or avoid it, the impairment becomes depression. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't deal with the sadness, the impairment is self-pity. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas like the gift of sadness is acceptance of the reality and you build into it. And like, or, you know, or of hurt, it's like, Resentment is the impairment of hurt. And then, but the gift of understanding and embracing the hurt is healing and courage. And so, so even in those, those, those moments, no, I, I absolutely have those feelings. Mm-hmm. Get, get pissed. Yeah. Like that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. We just keep it in the spot of appreciating what the anger is driving you towards. Yeah. Yeah. And find a safe place with safe people to yeah. don't get a safe place to do that is, um, a tricky thing to find sometimes because you don't want your anger to feed off of other people's anger, mm-hmm. but you do want your anger to be received well. Heard. So yeah, yeah. heard like yeah. it's good to have, I always tell people, look, the role of some of your friends is to say, yeah, yeah, dude, that sucks. You know, like yeah. to, to, to not, to not go, yeah, that sucks. And also another thing, but to to defend you, to yeah. feel defended, to feel to feel rallied around, to feel yeah. empathized with, and then it's the role of other friends in your life to have the wisdom of like that. That sounds hard. Yep. Now we're let's you know, bring it. What's yeah, next? let's bring it to next. Yeah. 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 Um, there's uh, yeah, at the risk of going a little long, um, I did want to get your take because there's a there's a question kind of couched in this email that is related to this um, that I wanted to see if you had a quick uh, a quick thought on. Um, it says, as an extension of those questions on loving your enemies, what does forgiveness look like to God? Doesn't he condition his forgiveness to us upon our recognition of our desperate need for his forgiveness? In the same vein, would he ask us to forgive someone when there's no recognition or remorse of their perpetual harm? So I would say this, our, our ability to forgive someone else is not contingent on what someone else does or does not do. As far as asking for forgiveness. Yeah. Like that's, you know, forgiveness is a release for us to experience freedom again. Mm -hmm. So it's not weighing you down because that person who has inflicted pain or whatever on you is not sitting there like, you know, if they have no remorse or anything, they're not sitting there being like, Oh, I just wish they would forgive me. Like Mm -hmm. that, that their unforgiveness, like our unforgiveness towards them means nothing towards them. Mm -hmm. It only hurts us. And so our forgiveness towards someone else is not contingent on their remorse or that's just not what we see even, you know, when Jesus is telling them to forgive, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't put any contingencies in there. And then when we see the way that throughout scripture, the way that God has worked in mercy and everything else, it's like, man, he doesn't, the way he, his mercy and grace and forgiveness works, it's like, it's on God. You know, like, yeah. like there's a, it's like even like the um, thief on the cross, you know, it's like he recognizes who God is. And he's like, well, remember me, mm-hmm. you know, in paradise. But like, and Jesus is like, you'll be with me in paradise today. But like the the typical things that we associate with forgiveness and grace and everything, like, well, if they do this or they, it's like on the cross, Jesus was like, today you'll be with me in paradise because you recognize who I am, Yeah, you know, and and so it's messy. Yeah. It's nuanced and it kind of rattles our cage a little bit with with our theology sometimes. But again, where I fall on that is like personally, like it, it we for, we forget we work towards forgiveness, mm-hmm. you know, as we've been talking about. Um, f- theologically with God, it's like, 
God does what God does Mm -hmm. and he handles justice. He is just and he is good. And I trust in that. And so how that works with people, I just know he's going to deal. Yeah. Yes. I agree with what you're saying. I think my take on it is kind of in a Christological view or like a, what do they call cruciform theology? So looking at it through the lens of the cross, I think God, I think God's offer of forgiveness is not contingent on your repentance. I think he's always offering mercy and forgiveness. Your repentance is about your ability to receive it. Even I'm reading Lamentations right now, which is basically like we did all the bad things and now we're <laughs> sure. in a really bad spot. Um, and even that, it's kind of like we didn't repent and so Babylon took us over or the Assyrians like conquered us. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure that my reading of that through a cruciform lens is you didn't, so God did this. But rather, like, God told you what the reality of the situation was. You did not act accordingly. And so what happened is what happens, which is that a bigger, meaner empire came and took you over. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Like, is the way that she phrased it was, like, a conditionality? Mm -hmm. And I, I tend to go, and I'm sure, you know, there's an argument there, but... I tend to go more toward the mercy, grace, and forgiveness is unconditional. Our repentance is about our ability to receive it. Um, non-repentance is basically just like standing there and letting a tossed Nerf ball hit you in the head over and over and over again because you haven't received it, not God not offering it. Yeah, and to someone, because um, like I'm rereading the question again, and I might be speculating a little bit, like or just yeah. trying to figure it out, but the I think if someone has an action let's say again the abuser does not regret the abuse Mm -hmm. and is just yep it's like is is forgiveness offered to him yes yeah like god's always that like that's literally the cross right well because forgiveness just like forgiveness for you is about you and your heart it's about you bringing a little bit of heaven to earth whether this person deserves it or not it's about your character and so like god's forgiveness is not about our character it's about his character yeah it's about who he is right yeah. it's about who he is so yeah i mean that's a theological take that we share so you, for this person could definitely like find another podcast or like other pastors or like that have a different is it yeah. called conditionalism i can't remember there's, there, there's, there's the, that yeah theological I, word for it but i think that there's a reality like the the abuser who doesn't want forgiveness are they forgiven well, not until they respond to the reality of forgiveness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's at some point you got to deal with it. But right. our responsibility, yeah, our responsibility is we are always offering up the reality of forgiveness because that is what Christ has done for us. Right. And so um, now whether someone else chooses to accept that, acknowledge it or whatever, that's mm-hmm. a whole other thing. But again, the reality of our offering up forgiveness is in response to the reality of what Jesus has done for us. And what that allows us to do is actually experience freedom from the abuser or freedom from mm. the person who hurt freedom from. Yeah. And so, and then obviously as we've been talking about, you set up boundaries and all that stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Hmm. Cool. Well, we've gone a little long, but it feels like a good, yep. good conversation. Sure. Pretty comprehensive. Um, if you have questions, quips, comments, or quotes um, off of this conversation, past conversations, or just things you've been thinking about, please send them in to stay curious at hillcityrva.com. Make sure to rate, review us, and share the episode so that other people can get in on the conversation. And until next time, remember to stay curious. curious.